Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to GCSE English Revision Pod. How are you getting on in lockdown, Mr. Forster? Yeah, bad actually. It's sunshine outside, doing a bit of teaching over the interwebs. It's been teaching over the interwebs, yeah. Unlike the teacher, we've been doing this for years. Well, exactly. You know, this is our bread and butter. If anything, I'm a voice for radio, um, a face for radio even. Um, yeah. Messed that, allude. Never mind. Uh, we'll overlook that joke. Um. We will. And instead, we will get into the topic of today's podcast. But not before we say, if you are listening for the first time, it is a very, very good idea to download the accompanying handout before you start listening. This can be found in the uh, description of this podcast. So, Go there now, click on that link and you will have a handout to follow us along with. You will have all the key analysis we do. You will have the contextual factors we talk about and you will have some brilliant key vocabulary to support your arguments as well. I thought for a second there, I'm just saying, if you're listening for the first time, it's a really good idea. I just thought you're going to stop and just be like... <laughs> just be really well done. <laughs> If you're listening for the first time... <laughs> well, well done you. Good idea. Yeah. I have a. I should have had a go at them for being so late to the party, perhaps. Yeah, it's a good idea now. Yeah, if you're listening for the first time, then what's wrong with you? (laughs) Sort yourself out. But anyway, let's um, let's get start the podcast. We're not normally like that. If you are listening for the first time, just to be no, it's normally a much nicer affair. But today (laughs) is a character who does invoke a bit of anger, I suppose. So maybe maybe we're just getting sort of we're preempting the emotion that might be brought up the more we talk about this character yes well yeah well, i mean I, I thought we've this is our ninth episode now on inspector calls and we're what we're hoping to do is obviously that we can't possibly in our podcast cover every possible question that could be asked but what we've tried to do is give you um, a range of different um, approaches to how to structure an essay on a range of different questions so we've covered sheila class divisions the inspector eva smith responsibility gender gerald and we've also looked at pride so I thought actually the big one that's missing that we haven't looked at yet is a character question on Eric. Right. So you have put together an essay on uh, the way Priestley uses Eric to teach us, uh, teach us things. Remember, that's always the key, isn't it? That when you're asked about a character, the essay is not asking you, do you like this character or list the things this character does in the play? The essay is asking you, what does the author use this character for what is the purpose of this character in the narrative what do they teach us and what do you think Eric does teach us yeah well I think I mean if we're going for personal reactions I think Eric's given far too easier time I think he's an absolute beep but um 
Uh, mm. I Because mean, I think what I've left him till last, because I think in many ways, an essay on Eric is probably one of the most difficult essays um, writing about an Inspector Calls, because he's a character who's presented in such ambivalent terms. So yeah. ambivalent, it's on our handout, it's one of our key words, but it's the idea of like having mixed feelings towards some, some, something or someone. I think that, that's because on the one hand, Eric is quite, um, we want to like him. He is like Sheila, he changes, he has a moral and social epiphany. He, he recognises the role of the inspector. He criticises his parents, but he's also a rapist. So there's this, there's this horrible ambivalence that we're that that I mean I'll, we'll come on to what our thesis is in a moment, but I think I think there's deli- there's definitely something problematic about the, the the portrayal of Eric, particularly in the wake of the Me Too movement, particularly you know reading him now um, you know in in 2020, um, it, I think there's something quite quite disturbing about it. And, and lots of productions that I've seen of an Inspectacles actually play down that quite sinister. Um, almost predator-like side of his of his character because it's, it makes it, of course, very difficult to sympathise him for with him for modern audiences. It goes against, and if you start viewing him um, in that way, it then sort of goes against Priestley's intended message, doesn't it? Because I think he is meant to be part of the. Um, he is meant to be part of you. Um, what helps you to learn? how you should react and that kind of thing but yeah if you um if you see him purely in through through the lens of what he's done it it sort of goes it goes against Priestley's message which I think as you say is more the way a modern a modern audience would see it rather than 1940s audience and I think the one thing to be aware of there is that's the kind of thing that's actually perfectly valid to say in your conclusion but just don't yeah. start your essay with it, because actually a conclusion is where I say this is really where your personal reflections, your reaction from your gut, your visceral reaction to the play should really be kind of put down on paper. Um, and I think it's perfectly appropriate to say in a conclusion on an essay on Eric, just how problematic he is to an audience in the wake of, you know, to a modern audience watching the play. OK, play. well, should we get into your thesis then? Yeah. So. Uh, the question is, um, just to be clear, how does Priestley present the character of Eric in Spectacles? So quite a simple run-of-the-mill question, the kind that you could get on a character. So it says this. In J.B. Priestley's 1945 play in Spectacles, the character of Eric, Mr. Burling's son, is presented in ambivalent terms. At the beginning of the play, he is irresponsible and impetuous, and we even learn of his potentially criminal actions, stealing from his father and raping Eva Smith. However, by Act 3, he undergoes a moral and social epiphany. He therefore becomes a symbol of how not only are the young willing to change, but also how no matter what an individual has done, there is still the possibility for redemption. Right. So the interesting thing that you're drawing on is exactly what you've just said, that actually he's one of the most difficult characters to work out how you feel about. And to be honest, to write a really interesting essay, you don't have to be completely sure how you feel about a character. You can simply explore the different interpretations of them. Well, and the best, the best essays do that. So if we think about the etymological root of the word essay itself, essay is from the French to try. So the best essays try out ideas. They put an idea on trial. They work out how far it works, how far it doesn't. So that's what we're going to do in this essay. We're going to, we're going to try out some different ideas about Eric until we reach what we do think in the conclusion. Yeah, fantastic. All right, let's, uh, let's go for it then. So um, let, uh, the first section, we've got three sections to this essay. The first one we're going to look at um, what he's like at the beginning. 
Um, the second, we're going to look at how that low point of his life um, when the inspector questions him. At the end, we're going to talk about his moral and social epiphany. So in many ways, this is a kind of structure you can do for many character essays in Inspector Calls. Because of the structure of the play, actually writing about many characters, you can do it in a very similar way. So let's look at the beginning, first of all. Priestley's depiction of Eric in Act One certainly emphasises his immaturity. He's truculent and morose and seems reluctant to conform to the expectations his family place on him. Brilliant. Do you want to shore up truculent and morose? So truculent is a wonderful word. I often use it to describe students. It's like being ready to fight, like looking for a fight. So we've all taught truculent students, the ones that sit there till you look at them and they say, why are you looking at me, sir? And you say, hmm. hello, David, <laughs> or whoever his name is. <laughs> um, uh, morose is kind of ill-tempered and moody. So um, what we've kind of got here is that Eric at the start, he's actually quite childish, isn't he? He's looking for a fight with his parents and his sister. He's ill-tempered, he's bickering, um, and he just doesn't want to conform to what his father wants for him. So he right. certainly isn't some kind of aspirational figure of social change at the beginning, is he? He's childish certainly not. and a bit, a bit kind of, yeah, naughty. Dislikable. Yeah, because um, his first exchanges in the play, they're, they're marked by this kind of immature bickering with his sister. So he suddenly guffaws. What is, could you do a guffaw for me, please, Mr. Galley? <laughs> Very good. Um, so, so like, you know, Sheila's talking and he's just like, <laughs> you know, he, um, and Sheila says he's squiffy, which is Edwardian slang for drunk. And when Sheila kisses Gerald, he shouts dramatically, steady the buffs, which is like an idiom, um, slang idiom from the Ed Edwardian period, referring to um, the second buffs regiment, if you're interested. But the, the point in here is that there's nothing serious about him. He's, he's mocking those around him. He's, he's looking for fights with his sister um, and he's drunk. Um, yeah. Uh, and there's a, lots of moments of prolepsis here. So prolepsis, is, it's on your sheet. Um, it's a really good word. It's uh, foreshadowing, things that set up something that's going to happen later. And the, the crucial moments of prolepsis in this scene are his drinking problem. Um, you know, he's called Squiffy by his sister. He takes the decanter and helps himself. It becomes this motif in the play of him drinking. Um, uh, you know, in Act 3, when, when, when being questioned by the inspector, he says, could he have a drink first? He goes for the whiskey. All of this, this alcohol has become this coping mechanism for, for Eric. So in many ways, he's the epitome of this upper middle class entitlement. Um, uh, uh, you know, this childish, uh, he's a man child, isn't he? He's a bit like, um, I'm about to say a bit like Mr. Galley. Well, I don't think that's very fair in uh, in in any way, really. But um, <laughs> no, no so he's um, nothing like he's, that. But he, I mean, he, you know, I think if we re if we all think back to our teenage years, we we certainly most people would recall times where they behaved, especially around sort of family events. Oh, in quite, uh, you know, there, there's that sort of there's that time when you think you're a bit too cool for it all, or whatever, or that you you know your family are, are the last people you want to be hanging out with. Uh, yeah. And I think that it's quite universal in that sense, isn't it? The presentation of Eric, because he almost thinks he's sort of to, he thinks he's shouldn't, he didn't need to be there really. He doesn't understand why he's got to be amongst this boring family affair when he, he'd much rather be out um, on the town this. really, wouldn't he? Yeah. And I think it makes us all reflect back on our younger selves and think, God, you were horrible, weren't you? Yeah, I get you. Do you get that as a teacher? I sometimes have, I mean, I've horrible flashbacks to um yeah I, I, you remember you were really nice at school weren't you i sometimes get flashbacks to like my behavior when i was in a lesson and i feel so guilty about it now especially now i've been on the other end of it and oh, it's, no, well, um, 
Yeah. I just want to find those teachers and say, sorry, I want to write them a letter and apologise for being <laughs> awful. <laughs> but, well, the th- but I think Eric is, you know, yeah, he's a petulant child, isn't he, in a, in a man's body? Yeah, interestingly, um, his father encapsulates this idea of it, his, his laissez-faire attitude towards life. That's a, a great, it's on your sheet, but it's a, an attitude of just like letting things happen, not, not trying, just sitting back and letting things happen around you. Because yeah. Mr. Burling says that he's had to face few responsibilities and he's had a public school and varsity life. So interestingly, of all the characters to criticise Eric at the beginning, it's his father. Who is of course yeah. himself quite a, a not a particularly impressive figure, but this I think in many ways gets across his kind of you know selfish, you know, isolated insular upbringing that he's had. This public school and varsity life. He's gone to some big public school and he's gone straight on to probably one of the top universities. I see. I see. It's funny, isn't it? Because he paid for all of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, that was the life he designed for him. But now he's kind of like, you boy, you've, you've not, you know, you haven't had the life I've had yeah. and you're not, um, you're no good. But yeah, sorry, we carry on, carry on with this first paragraph. I think the ambivalence we've got to look at in this paragraph then is that even in this kind of childish, truculent, um, morose uh, attitude that we see in Act One, there's moments of real empathy. Um, when the inspector says that the, the disinfectant burnt either inside out, of course, it's only Eric that responds of Mr. Burling, Gerald and, and Eric. And he shouts out, my God. So interestingly, even from before his engagement with the inspector, he shows some kind of um, genuine emotional reaction to what's happened to Eva Smith. He's also the one that points out that it's not a free country for Eva Smith if you can't go and work somewhere else. And he recognises so- yeah. Sorry. Uh, ironically, the the life that Mr. Burling is saying has um, not taught him anything. He's sort of saying, "Oh, you you know, you've been to public school. You've had everything given to you on a plate. You don't know anything about real life." But ironically, right from the start, Eric shows a deeper understanding of what is like life is like for people like Eva. There's a sense of him of perhaps an awareness here that foreshadows his later change of there's something being fundamentally wrong um, with how he is. Yeah. So that brings us to paragraph two. And there's a really useful word here that I wanted to introduce on the vocabulary list. I was trying to look, looking at a way to shoehorn this in because it's one of my favourite words. And it's a nadir, which is the lowest point. So a zenith is the highest point of something. The nadir is the lowest point. Um, it's a really mm. useful word for the tree analysis. I think because um, you could say uh, this is the, it, it is, however, only under the questioning of the inspector that the nadir of his life is revealed as the audience learns. I sometimes think about the period when I had to work with you as my boss as something <laughs> of a nadir. Do you, say, uh, do you think that's a good use of that piece of vocabulary? Many people have, have reflected that, that same reflection, Mr. Gully. Yeah, um, the sort of dead-eyed feeling. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Sorry. Paragraph two, then. Um, so it is, however, only under the question of the inspector, the nadir of his life is revealed as the audience learns of his treatment of Eva Smith. So um, mm. so what we learn here, you know, he's petulant and selfish. So as even in act three, when his mother said, like, is, is ashamed of him, he says, you haven't made it any easier for me, have you? Um, and when Sheila tells Mrs. Burling about his drinking, he calls her a little sneak. So even though he does change and seems to empathise with Eva Smith, in Act 3, he's still, um, you know, quite, quite petulant and defensive. Um, mm. And when he talks of, of, of the rape, um, uh, he, he says that he was in that state when a chap easily turns nasty and I threatened to make a row. I mean, it's mm. so troubling. This is the moment when he's talking about when he first had sex with Eva Smith, that, that he, 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 was, he, he turned nasty. 
And then the inspector defines this later on in his final speech. He says, you used her for the end of a stupid drunken night as if she were an animal, a thing, not a person. I think it's a really yeah. good summation of what he's done. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it, I, I, I think you're right to flag this up as one of the most difficult things to understand in the play, because even though the inspector says that, the the overall depiction by Priestley, I still think is quite. I still think Priestley is sort of more focused on the idea that learning is the important thing and changing as a person is the important thing, rather than judgment of Eric. Do you, do you know what I mean? Even though the inspector talks about him in such strong terms, I think the thing that comes across strongest at the end, the thing that Priestley tries to leave the audience with, is that he's learned from his mistakes and he's changed rather than weren't his mistakes so terrible. I think this is a really important, interesting thing to say. You could actually say, and you could write it like this in an essay, in a feminist reading of the play, this is something that's so problematic that Priest is so caught up in his socialist message that actually um, he fails perhaps to go far enough in his, in his depiction of, um, of, of, of Eric and the consequences of the, the, of what he does. Because actually, um, you know, Eric is the only character in the play that does something that's potentially criminal. Mr. Burling does something immoral, but it's not against the law. Mrs. Burling does something um, that we don't agree with, but it's not against the law. Gerald does something that we don't like and isn't that particularly admirable, but it's not against the law. Whereas Eric Mm. steals and he rapes. He's the only actual criminal of the Burlings. Yeah. And even even when admitting this to the inspector, this is perhaps why I think this is the nadir of his life, um, he still seeks to shift responsibility. He says to his father, you're not the kind of father a chap could go to when he's in trouble. There's a sense that unlike Sheila, who takes immediate and total responsibility for what she's done, Eric, whilst he does change by the end of the play, his initial response to the inspector is one of... Of, of, of seeking a way out not perhaps taking mm. full responsibility for what he's done so i think the second paragraph is quite a good one because it because eric therefore lots of people see eric and Sheila as being precisely the same examples of two young people who change unlike the older generation but i think there is a crucial difference between eric and sheila sheila is petulant and silly at the start but she undergoes an immediate transformation when the inspector reveals what she's done eric's transformation is much slower perhaps because what eric's done is much worse that's what i'd argue in this or another way of reading it, perhaps, is that it's the privilege of being a male that leads to him changing much slower. Perhaps because Sheila, even though Sheila has lived a um, very privileged life in financial terms, she it has still suffered the discrimination that women faced at that time. So perhaps because of her slightly deeper understanding of the unfairness of the world, she's quicker to make that transformation. Whereas Eric, not only is he from a financially comfortable situation he's also a man which comes of all of the privileges that that came with at that time and therefore maybe he's a little bit more reluctant a little bit slower to learn the message because of his increased privilege yeah and i think so again it's a bit like in our last podcast we were talking about the impacts of pride it's showing the perhaps what priest is engaging with here is is what privilege does to your view of the world the way in which it controls what you see around you so let's let's look at our final paragraph then yet by the end of the play eric undergoes a moral and social epiphany becoming a better and more empathetic person and unlike his parents taking responsibility for his actions 
So mm. he does change by the end. Um, you know, his truculent outbursts at the end of Act Three, they're no longer defined by himself. They're not selfish. They're not solipsistic, is a great word to describe it. They're not obsessed with himself anymore. They're now about what's happened to Eva. So he has just this structure that's this parallel between his truculent outbursts in Act One and Act Three, but the nature of those outbursts has changed. He's now saying that to his parents he's ashamed of them. It's a sense that in that brighter and harder light of the inspectors, that opening stage direction suggests he's 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 recognised the reality, the artifice of the world in which he's grown up. Mm. Um, he, a, a great quotation that kind of encapsulates this. He says, "You told us that the man had to a man had to make his own way, that we weren't to take any notice of these cranks." Then one of those cranks walked in. I didn't notice. You told him that it was every man for himself. Right. So he's pulling he's pulling his father up on that point and essentially saying, oh, you were so, you were so quick to say that there is um, you were so quick to say that there's nothing in what these people say. And yet when one of these people was in our house, you um, you didn't put your argument forward. It's almost as if uh, Eric understands that once you shine a light again, coming back to the stage directions, once you shine a light on the world that it's they empty. live in. It's empty. You can't yeah. defend it. There's no there's no moral justification for yeah. living in luxury while the people who work for you struggle to feed themselves. Yeah. And he's you know, he recognised also that whether or not the inspector was a real police officer, he was our police inspector. All right. So mm. whoever the chap was, he explains, the fact remains that I did what I did and mother did what she did. And the rest of you did what you did to her. He even goes so far as to say we all did her in all right. It's a classic example with Inspector Calls, isn't it? Because there's there's not the same metaphorical language that you'll find in Dickens or in Shakespeare or in um, Jekyll and Hyde or whatever else you might be doing. But even in that repetition of the word did or what what we did is incredibly powerful there, isn't it? You know, and, and if you see that on the stage version, that repetition really, really resonates and it seems to go on forever, which is exactly how it's designed. It's this euphemistic reluctance to actually admit to what he did, did what you did, did what we did, did what she did. There's almost like this this sense of shame that I think Priestley does depict quite well here in Eric, that perhaps there is the sense that he's he's recognised the gravity of what he's done to Eva Smith. Um, Don't put it and can't quite word it or is reluctant yeah, to word it. Language, yeah. language fails him. Um, mm. But I mean, the important questions then to consider as we go towards our conclusion is what's Priestley saying about the possibility of change here? Um, is he presenting us with a character who um, has come from this real nadir of his life and recognised the, the need to change, the, 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 to take a, account of what he's done? Um, or, is, or is actually... It, it, does Priestley go far enough? Because actually in our conclusion, we might want to think about actually how... In a way, Eric is the only one who really escapes justice and who, if the, the, the final phone call is a real police inspector now, will actually face the justice of the law courts. It would be scandal for Mr. Burling and Mrs. Burling. It would be scandal for Gerald, but actually it would potentially be prison for Eric. Would it, though? Because presumably that would involve his father yeah. pressing charges and it would so, also involve yeah. the... So probably not. Um, yeah. So possibly not that. And also back then, of course, the law was not very protective of women. And this is another factor that can be considered, I suppose, when um, when analysing the context around what Eric did is um, that as as much as it um, by um, by modern standards, it would be considered rape and quite rightly so. It's it's maybe an important thing to include that by nineteen by the justice of nineteen forties it possibly wouldn't have been a criminal matter if you know yeah. what I mean because of the advancement and the, because of the law getting 
much better and much stronger in those areas. So again, it's another contextual factor that students we, we, can we, we don't look wanna, at the difference between then and now. We, we don't want to go too far off track, but I think just to finish our conclusion, I, I think that's where it's that's where I'd come to the conclusion. What's your reaction personally to Eric? How do you respond to him? Do you think he does present us with kind of a hope for, that anyone can change, or do you think that maybe Priestley's depiction is slightly problematic here, and actually for audiences in in watching this in 2020, it leaves a nasty taste in the mouth to see Eric escaping justice to see Eric thinking that just by showing some empathy he can atone for what actually um, quite terrible actions that he did yeah cool nicely nicely put together I would say that is a that is a very um, layered essay that explores very many different aspects of the way that Priestley presents Eric and I remember we come back to this time and time and time again Mr Forster has not written an essay there where he talks about whether he personally thinks Eric is a good person or not. He has written an essay which explores the way that Priestley uses Eric to show different things. And once you've done that, that's when you can bring in your evaluation, right? That's when you can talk about how effective these things are and what these things actually mean to you. But first, you've got to talk about how Priestley's using the character to make the points that Priestley wants to make. Brilliant. I think that's us. That's us done. You think we're out? Okay, so please give us a follow on Twitter at GRevisionPod. Um, email us at Mr. Forster. EnglishRevisionPod at gmail.com. EnglishRevisionPod at gmail.com. Give the podcast a like and a follow as well. That helps us uh, get ourselves out there and hopefully help lots and lots of people with their revision and their studying. We hope you are all keeping well um, and that lockdown is treating you okay and we will be back hoping to see you again very very soon on GCSE English Revision Pod.